Well, it is no pucks given here on Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Hey, I'm Dan Kingerski. Thank you for checking out the August edition. I've tried to do about one of these per month over the summer. I don't know if I did a couple in July, but whenever somebody kind of reminds me on Twitter, like, hey, a podcast. I usually feel a little bit of guilt, and I and I hop into the studio, and that's exactly what uh, is going on he- here. I've been guilted into it. On the uh, podcast this week, we will get into some of the columns I've written on Pittsburgh Hockey Now this week. And if you haven't read them, don't worry, you're not alone. Our August traffic, obviously, is about uh, one-tenth of what it uh, is in June even in July or what it will be in October. So uh, I will tell you about what I've written. Especially, I I thought there were two articles that I wanted people to read more, and I was maybe jumping the gun a little bit. I took a real look at the size of the Metro Division and a couple of the uh, better Atlantic Division teams as well, the Bruins and uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning compared them, contrasted them with the Penguins and the uh, Washington Capitals, also kind of threw into the blender what kind of off-seasons all of those teams have had, who is looking good, who is not looking good, Uh, looked forward, looked backward. I kind of put all of that into about 800 words, really boiled it down to to just brass tacks. I, don't, I didn't want to bore anybody, and, and quite frankly, I didn't want to bore myself with laborious details and, and really getting uh, just uh, annoyingly anal about uh, things, like to the third decimal place. I want to get into that. I also want to talk about Jamie Alexiak. We wrote a, a thing on him uh, on the website this week, I, and I want to explore that a little further and maybe tone of voice We'll we'll, uh, flush that out a little bit better. The Penn's prospect camp begins, get this, in three weeks. September 6th through the 10th, they're up in Buffalo with the rookie tournament. Uh, I can't find the roster, so I assume it's not yet been announced. At the development camp, a couple of the guys had talked about already being invited, but uh, the, the full roster is not out yet. I don't think Daniel Sprong will play, but m- maybe Teddy Bluger does, although he seems kind of old to, to do so uh, as well. We'll also get into some cliched sports debates. What are the, what's the Penguins' Mount Rushmore? <laughs> Whenever I, I, I see a sports guy go for like the, the Rushmore stuff, I know they got nothing else. I'm not criticizing. We're all there. Uh, at certain points of the season or at, at certain times. So we'll, we'll tongue-in-cheek look at the, uh, the four most influential members of the Penguins, which is also a nice little segue, by the way. Shelly and I are doing a series. We hope to drop it next week. I, I can tell you on the podcast. I always tell you things on the podcast that I, I don't uh, say on Twitter that I'll maybe hint at on Twitter. I guess it's my little... Uh, Thank you for listening to this uh, little one-man band podcast. Uh, Eddie Johnston was the GM who called me last week. Dan! I was like, "Uh, hi. (laughs) I I have no idea if he knows who I am or if he's just that gregarious and awesome. And I wasn't going to ask. So I I just rolled with it, you know, went along because we'd put a request in through the... um, 
through the organization to talk with Eddie and what Shelly and I are doing. And I, I can't wait to roll this out. I might even wait two weeks just because uh, I think right now Pitt and the Steelers are, are, and the Pirates are really sucking the air out of the room. We are doing a feature series called The Men Who Built the Penguins. Eddie Johnston, obviously, is first and foremost. We've, we've tried to get a hold of a couple other guys who, who I think at this point in their lives just don't want to do media anymore. And so uh, we're having to rework it. I'd actually hoped to launch it already. But, but here we are. I'm not going to tell you who kind of dusted us off a little bit. That wouldn't be fair to them. But needless to say... We're, we're, you know, we're, we're looking at the people who really shaped the Penguins, both as an organization and the culture around the Penguins, which has been, I think, almost self-sustaining to this point and has been a boomerang effect and helped shape the team. Like the team shaped the culture. Now the culture helps shapes the team. So I want to get into the, a little bit of that as well. You can always tweet me at the Dan Kingerski. So let's get into the uh, the big meaty column that I wrote. I think I dropped it on Monday. And, and that was, is speed still the future of the NHL? Looking at the Penguins, size, and winning. Now let me cut to, to the heart of, of the chase here. The Washington Capitals weigh an average of over 206 pounds. The Penguins, as they hit the playoffs, weighed somewhere about 198 pounds on average. If you took Jamie Alexiak out of the equation, the Penguins actually weighed, get this, an average of 195. That's craziness. That's, that's skaters only. That's not including goaltenders, coaches, or anybody else. And in that... And there was a, you know, an equal disparity between the Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if you watch the Eastern Conference Final, if you had the stomach for that, you really saw at the end of that series, the Capitals turn it up and just manhandle the Lightning, and the Lightning couldn't do a thing about it. And in reality, it was because of that 13-pound weight differential. So the question gets posed, and you can look at it glass half empty, half full, is speed still the future of the NHL? The answer simply is kind of. The bar has been raised now. The minimum speed and skating ability has, has been raised to a pretty high level. You can't have these uh, lead-footed, slogging guys out there anymore. It just doesn't work. The Rob Scuderi's, the uh, P.A. Parentos. I'm trying to think of some of the other uh, terrible skaters uh, of the last uh, three, four, five years in the NHL. Those two spring immediately to mind. And those guys just couldn't hack it after the, 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 you know, the last Blackhawks Stanley Cup and the first Penguins Stanley Cup. And the game went and changed overnight. Those guys were essentially gone overnight. All of those heavy-footed guys who couldn't keep up. Andy McDonald skates much better than uh, people give him credit for. I see him lumped into that mix sometimes, the Flyers defenseman, and, and I'm going to take him out 
of that mix, just in case some of you want to toss that name at me on Twitter. I, I'm I'm crossing him off the list. And even Zidane Ochara at this point, what is he, 47, 48? No, what is he, uh, 42, 43? But uh, regardless, uh, he's so big, but he's still nimble enough to get around in the in the game. He's not like Hal Gill, who, who literally needed half the ice for a, a crossover turn. And, and so if someone says, well, it's all about speed, there, there's a, a good nugget of truth in that sentence because players have to be able to skate to a much higher level than they've ever had to reach before. Their edge work, their acceleration, their agility have to be good now to play in the NHL. But now that everybody is reaching that level, the speed game, quote-unquote, is no longer as effective as it was three or four years ago. And that's what I was really trying to drive home in that column, is everybody wants to kind of still cling to that, that, that speed mindset. The Washington Capitals did a great job closing the gap on the Penguins in terms of speed. Tom Wilson, hate him as you do, has great wheels. Jacob Verana skates very well and and subbed in very well in the the Capitals' top six in the playoffs. And they they did the same. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly in their bottom six. They added speed. Obviously, you know, T.J. Oshie. And, And so what it came down to between the Penguins and the Capitals... And I think the winner of that series ultimately would have gone on to the Stanley Cup final. I think the Penguins would have would have beaten the Lightning as well. What it came down to were, were the other factors then. Then you put the skill on the table. Then you put toughness on the table. You know, the, the grit, the jam, the sandpaper. You put it all on the table, and the Capitals, I can't say matched the Penguins' skill, but I mean... Evgeny Kuznetsov putting the puck in the net with such regularity, that's a huge bonus for the Capitals. That closed the skill gap. It may have tied, the, it may have neutralized the Penguins' skill in that series with the way Kuznetsov was scoring, and then everything else pushed the Capitals past the Penguins. And yes, uh, the, the Penguins were really kind of coming to the end of the line physically, mentally, actually, I think more mentally than physically. But had the Capitals not had Kuznetsov uh, filling the net, I don't know if the Penguins would have been at the end mentally. I think the Capitals put them there as much as as anything. So that's what, you know, Professor Dan here... Uh, Professor Irvin Corey, I'll, I'll get real, you know, uh, sorry, that was 1950s reference. I will uh, try to impart that to you is now that the, the, the game is again expanding. So as we talk about looking ahead to 18 and 19 and even 19 and 20 here over the next month as we gear up for uh, the, the, this new season, 
I want you all to kind of have that information in the back of your mind of how the game is evolving and changing and the Penguins' place in it. Because now we can talk about the Penguins' offseason. Now that I've laid those bricks down and created the, the foundation, now does that make the Derek Grant signing... Matt Cullen is six foot tall, 202 pounds, I believe. I think he's, I think he's over 200. I think he's coming in around 202. But he's, he's not a small guy. Does that make a little bit more sense? Jack Johnson is six foot one, 227. He almost looks like the thing from Fantastic Four. He's a solid guy who can skate, but also hit and do those other sorts of things. Now, when you plug it all in with the picture that I'm painting for you, and that's what I'm trying to do here, does it all make a little bit more sense? You're like, ah, so I see. You know, because we all kind of, we've questioned the Derek Grant signing. We've we've questioned different things, Matt Cullen or, or Jack Johnson. But when you put all of that into the pudding, you've got a pretty good pie that the Penguins have baked this offseason. I still don't know about one of the signings, uh, one of the forward signings. I still, uh, I'm more bullish on Teddy Bluger now that I've watched video on him and and caught some of his uh, work in the Dub Beauty League in Minnesota this summer. I'm wondering if he's not going to kick the door down to the NHL and what the Penguins would do if he does. But I guess that's a good problem to have, isn't it? You'd rather the guy kick the door down and make you make a decision than force you to make a decision because he couldn't cut it. If you can, check out that article on Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Don't forget, by the way, to give us a like and a follow here. We haven't made the official announcement yet, but a whole lot more multimedia is coming. Hint, hint, hint. So uh, stay in touch with uh, us. Pinwheeling off of size and its importance to the Penguins, Jamie Alexiak, by the way, six foot seven, 255 pounds, and I think they're a little bit light on the scale at 255. He's, he's a solid human being, let me tell you. I think he is the guy who is going to make the Penguins' defense. He's not going to break it. That's the luxury the Penguins have with Chris Letang, with Justin Schultz, with Ole Mata, with Brian Dumoulin, as as four solid defensemen who can be uh, top four guys. If you just listed those four guys, Jamie Alexiak's contribution might get minimized. However, and here's what I also uh, put uh, on the pixels this week. Jamie Alexiak has the ability to crack the Penguins' top four, both because of the physicality, his mobility, and he's got a little bit of an offensive streak to him. If he can learn to harness the offensive power within as he taps into the hidden strength all humans have, if Jamie Alexiak can harness that power, he could be a very good NHL defenseman. And I don't mean that as, eh, he's a good third-pairing guy. 
No, I mean hand the guy seven million bucks kind of good. He's got that ability. He's got the toolbox. Now, how long it takes him to put all of that together, if uh, you know it, it ever happens, is an entirely different question. But Alexiak this season, because there were times last year when I was very impressed with him. And I was thinking, wow, the, the Penguins have a real find here. But then there were other times when, when he would get, his game would get loose. He would lose positioning because he, he was trying to do too much. He was trying to get into the offensive zone to make something happen. He was trying to carry the puck or he was trying to do too much. And his game would unravel. The knock on Alexiak for me last season is when the game would begin to unravel, it would take quite a while to wrap it back up. We're talking, you know, more than a period here. We're talking periods, maybe more than a game or or two to wrap it back up, to get him back to centered and, and on the right track. In fairness... He has never played a full NHL season. He's been in the league six years. This coming year will be his seventh, which means uh, he would have been eligible for, actually will be, I think, I'm 99% sure that he'll be a UFA at the conclusion of the contract he signed with the the Penguins. In fact, I I know he is a UFA because it was a, a little bit of a longer deal. So... The Penguins have time to work with him. If he comes in confident and ready to go, I think he is an A-plus left-side defender to Justin Schultz in that second pairing. And then you've got Latang and Dumoulin, and I think we all expect a, a much higher level from Chris Latang. And then you've got Schultz and a thumping six-foot-seven Alexiak in that second pairing. So yeah, Alexiak, uh, I think I called him the linchpin. I was never sold on that word in the headline, but I really couldn't think of a better word. I didn't want to call him the icing on the penguin's cake because that uh, isn't true either. So I went with linchpin because he really could make the penguins. With If, if Alexiak doesn't come through for them this year, they're going to be an average defense with at least one guy out of position. That's uh, something that I, I, don't, I don't know if it's gotten a lot of press or attention, is that someone's going to play the right side on the third pairing who's a left-hander. Because only Schultz and Latang are righties. Also, Chad Ruedel is. But he'll be uh, you know, slurping some press box nachos with the rest of us. So is it Jack Johnson who has some right side experience? I tend to think he'll start on the left side. That'll be his job to lose. And Alexiak or Mata gets shoved onto the right side. Unless Alexiak outplays Johnson and pushes, you know, you know how the Rubik's Cube goes. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here. Let's get to the Penn's prospects now. Um... Geez, a couple of weeks ago, we rolled out the Penguins' top 10 prospects. We were, we were talking to people around hockey. We were beating the bushes. 
And we actually did find someone that we hadn't included, and his name is Linus Oloon. You'll read it as Oland, O-H-L-U-N-D, but he's got, um, what did Geica used to put over top? The Umawats over the U, so it's actually Oloon. Linus Oloon, and we were told directly, don't sleep on this kid, that he... Uh, is much better than people give him credit for, and he's uh, coming a lot faster than people realize. So uh, I think he cracked uh, somewhere around eight or nine on the Penguins list. The reality is going to rookie camp in a few weeks uh, up in Buffalo, the Penguins just might get shellacked. They really might get pasted up there because they're not deep at all. I assume Kalen Addison uh, will be there. I don't know about Philip Hollander. I don't know if they'll bring him across the pond and send him back and make him go through all of that. I'd, I'd like to see him. And I'm not sure which college guys will, um, will be there as well. I'd like to get my eyes on Anthony Angelo of Cornell. who uh, do, The video work is what sold me on Angelo. When I was watching some of the Cornell highlights, oh, and then so uh, I, I got my hands on some longer tape and, and really got into it. Angelo is part of the Penguins' larger prospects. I don't know if you've noticed, with the exception of Addison, who's a, a bit of a sprite, 5'10", I think, you know, if he weighed 180 pounds, I'd be shocked. I don't know what they list him as standing beside him or sitting there talking to the Penguins' second-round draft choice this year out of Lethbridge looked like a buck 60 to me. You know, I, I would have pegged him. He, he, he was, he's light. Maybe that's his summer weight. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to roast him like I did uh, a lot of others on, on the website today. The Penguins aren't deep. I don't know who's going to play center. I don't know... Um, yeah, the, the, this rookie camp is going to be uh, a real test of depth and, and stretching guys and seeing who can play center. They, they might throw a guy like Bluger in there just to be competitive and just to have some pivots. You know, William DePauly, who was sixth on our list, former Brian Rust teammate at Notre Dame, lost his first two professional years, essentially. The first year he had back surgery. Last year, lingering hand issue, suffered a personal tragedy when he lost his father, and really uh, was, call it a lost season, number two for DePauly. But he was a guy, before he had the back surgery, a few years ago, I watched him in training camp and my jaw dropped. He was a wrecking ball. With speed and tenacity, I thought he'd be in the NHL by now, but life had different plans. I don't uh, foresee anybody else coming out of that rookie camp and making a rookie tournament, I, I should say, making a push for the NHL. DePauly's too old. I, I don't think they're going to take him. I, he's 25 at this point, maybe 26, because this will be his third professional year after four years of college. So he's on that borderline. Now, this is, I guess, the nice part about the Penguins. We don't have to worry about prospects. 
you're never going to see a, a Pirates or a Penguins prospects page spring to life, at least in the foreseeable future, because, well, the, the Penguins will be competitive and they're not going to be selling a five-year rebuilding plan like they have. But I wanted to drop that. If anyone else is going up to Buffalo, drop me a line on Twitter. Be happy to uh, go get some wings with you. I'm definitely going. Uh, is it Ralph's, the original wings place? That's what I do when I go on the road. I, I collect um, authentic food. I have to go to the like the real place for whatever each little city is is famous for. Now let's get to the uh, cliched sports debate. <laughs> I can't believe I, I'd be roasting myself at, at this point if I heard some idiot on a podcast. Let's talk about the Penguins, Mount Rushmore. Okay, give us a call at 412. No, you know, we're, we're just not uh, going to do that. But I do want to use it to to foreshadow and kind of link into the series that Shelly and I are doing, The Men Who Built the, the Penguins. Because while we're uh, Eddie Johnston, former GM, former coach, former GM of the Hartford Whalers who traded Ron Francis and Dolph Samuelson to the Penguins in exchange for John Cullen and the late Zarly Zalapsky. Uh, there were a couple other uh, borderline NHL players involved in, in both sides. Grant Jennings, and I'm trying... Jamie Leach, I think, was the other guy the, the Penguins sent to Hartford. Forgive me. I'm not sure on that. Eddie would not be on the Rushmore, though. You, of course, start with Lemieux. You can, heck, you could put four Lemieux up there, and it would, wouldn't be bad. I'm going to put Craig Patrick on there as well. Now, some of you younger fans remember the, the 2006 debacle with Ziggy Palfi, uh, and, and he kind of was shown the door at the end of that season. I remember Craig getting booed on the ice one night. But for those of you who are a little bit older, you remember, you know what I'm talking about, and and for you whippersnappers, hear me out on this one. Uh, Patrick came in at a time when the Penguins were going through general managers like like candy. Tony Esposito was a guy before Patrick, and what and 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 no GM had surrounded Mario Lemieux with talent. Then all of a sudden, here comes Tom Barrasso. Mark Recchi, Kevin Stevens. They pluck Yaramir Yager with the fifth pick in the draft because Yager told other teams that he wouldn't play for them. Uh, and Patrick went over and somehow extricated Yager from his military duty. That story I'd like to know. <laughs> I wonder if there was an envelope involved. Just wondering. Because we know that low-level bureaucrats in an oppressive communist regime would be of the utmost integrity and not at all susceptible to extra logic, would they? No. No, the state comes first. <laughs> but um, I'm actually also... I, I, I'm waffling on if I put Yager in the top four of all time. I think they win the first Stanley Cup without Yager. And that's why I'm leaving him off. Lemieux, Craig Patrick, 
Sidney Crosby. Maybe, and maybe this is the, the media guy, the broadcaster in me. Let me tell you something. Mike Lang goes in that little uh, circle. He gets on the Olympus, the Rushmore, the, 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 the Pantheon of the Penguins. Now, I'm 40, 42. I hate to admit that. I don't feel anything close to 42. Even as my hair is beginning to uh, both uh, desert and become a traitor. I haven't, uh, I haven't hit it with the, the just for men yet. Thinking about it. You know you're getting old when like the, the hair club commercials come on TV and you're like, oh. And you stop and watch and, not, and don't laugh at them. That's when you know you're getting old. Uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm there. But I'm going to put Mike Lang in that because for so long there wasn't much reason to watch the Penguins games. Before Lemieux, <laughs> oh, believe me, there was no, there, I still watched. I didn't, I, I was young enough to care without expecting anything in return. Maybe it was a different time in the world as well. And so I'd watch these terrible Penguins captained by Mike Bullard. But Mike Lang made it an enjoyable experience. Now, back then as well, into the early 90s, they simulcast radio and television. So you were essentially getting a radio play-by-play on TV, and I loved that as well. I, I, I really think more TV announcers could get away with that if they were good enough to, to do so. And I don't think people would, would really complain. Not everyone can be Doc Emmerich and use three words to say a paragraph. Sometimes you need a paragraph if you're not Doc Emmerich. Lang saved what was, you know, uh, 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 had the kindling of a fan base. So when Lemieux came along, that kindling caught fire. And even then, the Penguins sucked. Don't get me wrong. Um... The Penguins were so bad. 86, 87? Yeah, 86, 87. They had a, a, a coach they plucked from juniors named Pierre Kramer who didn't know they had to win the game to make the playoffs in the final game of the season. The Penguins and Washington Capitals went to overtime and he was playing for the tie until Lemieux kind of jumped over the boards and like went and won the game with a sliding goal. Penguins still missed the playoffs. And think about that. There's 21 teams. I think 16 went to the playoffs, and the Penguins were perennially one of the five who missed, even with Mario Lemieux. But Mike Lang, Mike Lang kept you there. He kept fans interested and engaged. And when when he finally uh, does step aside, Boy, what a difference the, the Penguins broadcast are going to be. And, I, and I'm not putting down anybody. Uh, I'm not putting down uh, Josh Getzoff or, or Steve Mears. But what a loss of personality and color and fun that, that so much helped shape the, uh, the Penguins culture and, and the fan base. 
I still, when I see Mike Lang, I still kind of like put my head down and, you know, I don't say much. I don't like go over and run over and try to, you know, be his buddy or anything. I, I just, uh, I revere him far too much for, for that kind of uh, silliness. And I'll also tell you another thing, as a former play-by-play guy, at one point, uh, there were 10 years across all minor league hockey where every announcer was a Mike Lang wannabe. A couple broke through. Since I've said that kind of negatively, I'm not going to tell you who they were. But, um, yeah, a couple guys with trying to be colorful with expressions and and all of that uh, did break through. But everybody kind of tried to put the same gravel in their voice across minor league hockey. And that trend, unfortunately, is, is gone. And the trend is for that very uh, straight, straight-laced kind of uh, broadcast. I think we, we've killed all fun in sports for the most part. But uh, So those are my four. And I'd be curious to see who your top four in the, uh, the, the Penguins universe would be. And you can tweet me at the Dan Kingerski when you finally get a hold of this podcast. I, I'm willing to bet your age will, will really um, dictate who's in the four. If, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet if you're under 30, if Genny Malkin is in there, I bet you some people are going to toss out Marc-Andre Fleury, put him in there as well. Maybe a Chris Letang, although I... Um, Letang's lack of personal hardware. If he won a Norris trophy, that'd be a different conversation. But since he hasn't, um, I don't, uh, I don't foresee many people putting him in. Also, see, I bet you if you're under 35, you have Yager in there as well. If you grew up with Yags and Yager peanut butter, <laughs> what else did he sell? I don't know. If you, if you were hanging out at Chauncey's down there in the Station Square with uh, Yager, then I'll, I'll bet you put him in as, as well. So we've, we've killed about 35 minutes. I put out a little uh, SOS for some content on, on Twitter. Best movie of the summer. Now, I, I don't know how many of you... I have very... Um, what, what's the right word? I don't, I don't want to put it... I hate formulaic slop. Oh, just put it to... Run it through the formula. Here we go. It's going to be the same movie. We'll, we'll, we'll change out the characters. Maybe we'll add, a, you know, we'll add a minority for some spice. That'll make it different than the last three movies we've made just like this. You know, those kind of movies drive me nuts. The kind of movies that are cotton candy. I I, I love my uh, my quirky and dark independent movies, and I love movies that are 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 well made. This summer has absolutely sucked in terms of movies. Just it might be the worst summer ever, and I've I've seen a handful until I canceled my movie pass subscription last week because literally there are no movies if you wait until six o'clock to try to buy a movie ticket they're all gone in the city of pittsburgh 
There must be like three available to each movie. So I haven't uh, gone to see um, Mission Impossible yet. I mean, come on. Everyone tells me it's good, but it, 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 it's, it's Tom Cruise. Isn't every Tom Cruise movie just about the exact same? Oh, here's a cocky upstart. He's going to get his, and he's going to rebound to come back to save the day. Although Simon Pegg might, uh, might convince me to see it. Okay, uh, Jake on Twitter said uh, the best movie this summer was A Quiet Place. That was a horror movie where you couldn't make a sound. And he is going to do his own little off-season because I wanted to know if you were pessimistic or optimistic on the Penguins' off-season. Justin uh, responded on Twitter, best movie he's seen this summer is The Equalizer 2. That's uh, Denzel, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that's Denzel. So far, my favorite movie has been The Avengers, Infinity Stones. And that's only because Robert Downey Jr. Uh, just, he was pretty much born to play Iron Man. And Josh Brolin is really taking to these comic book movies. He was fantastic as uh, Thanos. Is it Thanos? Thanos? Uh, pronounce it however the heck you want. Although that was a really good movie. I didn't expect it. I expected to come out of there hating it or just like, ugh, what crap. But no, it was, it was really good. I went to see the Jurassic Park movie. I, I, I don't even waste the dollar on Redbox. <laughs> don't even waste the, the... Just wait for it to, to be free on your Netflix or, or wherever you can see it for free. Is Redbox even still a thing? Yeah, see, this is where I'm showing my age once again. If, if you remember spending an hour in Blockbuster Video just milling through the aisles, ah, oh, seen it, seen it, ah, oh, it's out, ah, oh, seen it, seen it. Oh, I wonder what this is. It has a cool cover. And then having to agree with two or three other people because you've got your family there and, oh, I don't want to watch this. I don't like that person. I, it's, I, if there's... Well, there's, there's many perks to uh, being a single fella. Not having to have my movie taste diluted, fantastic. I would, I would be able to walk into a blockbuster, if that were still a thing, and be out in five or ten minutes. It used to take an hour. And that was, like, that was like the night's entertainment. Was actually walking through blockbuster. Not the movie itself, but actually having to get consensus to uh, to see something. All right, that just about uh, wraps this uh, craziness up. We'll make the big announcement uh, on on the Pittsburgh Sports Now family expansion very soon. It's a done deal. In fact, you know what? If you, if you listen to 40 minutes of this rambling, I should just tell you right now, huh? Yeah, what the heck? All right. So we, uh, we signed the lease for an office. Pittsburgh hockey now, Pittsburgh sports now, Pittsburgh soccer now, and some other things coming. We'll have office space downtown. Downtown Pittsburgh, not 
you know, way out in the boonies. As part of that office space will be a broadcast studio in which there will be live shows every day, podcasts made from those live shows, additional podcasts, and videos. Not just videos of the podcast and live shows, but specific videos of, of the events. So we'll be doing uh, pre and post games out of uh, our studio. We'll also, um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. There, there are some, you know, the, the, the teams in town could, could make our lives a little bit more difficult than we're expecting if they've got, you know, we're never sure if there's a, a legality blind spot that we haven't found. But you'll, you'll be seeing live reports post-game and, and reports, you know, from outside PPG, outside Heinz Field, discussing different topics. We're really going to, uh, in addition to the written content that we've been, been providing, provide all of that in video form now. And someday I might get to sleep, too. But, uh, so that's been uh, what has been weighing on me for, geez, better part of the summer is trying to, to pull all of this together. We had a bunch of yeses, and then we had a no, and then we had a yes, and then the office was more expensive than we thought, and then we had to kind of negotiate and rework that, and, and now we're, we're finally over all of those those hurdles, and now I'm in the uh, equipment shopping. You know, the wireless mics and and TV monitors, furniture, backdrops, all of that, because we are starting literally from scratch. So there's the big announcement. We'll, we'll make it official on Twitter. Uh, don't 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 ruin our surprise. <laughs> But you can say congrats if uh, this seems like uh, a venture that you'll be a part of. Do me a favor. When we tweet out the uh, link to the YouTube page, that's where we'll get paid for all of this stuff. So do me a favor and uh, become a subscriber on the YouTube page. That doesn't cost anything. You simply have to click like this page on YouTube. And, you know, YouTube has this weird rule where you have to have over 1,000 to get paid. It's, they, they made this change to kind of weed out all of the dead wood and people who were, you know, getting like 100 or 200 views on videos and getting checks for $1.37 or whatever the heck it was. So they, 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 upped the, uh, they upped the minimum just about the time we were thinking about doing this. Anywho, so we need your help on that to, uh, to subscribe to the page and spread the word if you could. Now I'm done. I think. Yes. I'm completely done. Uh, <laughs> all right. I thank everybody for hanging in there with us. So uh, we'll talk to you on Twitter. And I will uh, catch you around town as well. I'm Dan Kingerski. No pucks given. Until we talk again, kids. Have fun. <laughs>